Hello and welcome to another new release reviews from Total Reboot. It is I, Alexi Toliopoulos, coming to you at the top of this episode to welcome you into the podcast. On this episode, it is a special horror movie dispatch with a great new horror movie in cinema recommendation for you for this spooky season. Joining me to discuss Barbarian, this exciting horror comedy is one of the great horror minds in this freaking country, an author of many books, including The Rose Daughter and... I forgot the one you just told me. <laughs> Her Fierce Creatures. Her Fierce Creatures. <laughs> Actually, is... very topical for Barbarian. Her Fierce Creatures. Absolutely. It's one of our favourite guests to ever have on this podcast over and over again. It is Maria Lewis. Hi! Thanks for having Marie. me back. Love to be My back pleasure. for horror stuff. We, I mean, it would be crazy if we didn't have you back for another Shocktober season. <laughs> well, I think that's the very first time I ever came on this show was for um, The Ring. We did The Ring. Yeah, Gore Verbinski and his little dinkski. I remember it well. Oh. That was that was your joke. Yeah, it would be insane if that wasn't something I said, and you somehow formulated something that sounds exactly like my voice. I think about that twice a week. Well, thank goodness, I'm glad I'm popping into your brain somehow, Maria. Yeah. I'm so glad to have you on because we're going to be talking about this new movie, Barbarian. It's in cinemas right now. Oh. Um, this movie, I will just say this at the top of the episode, we're going to do a spoiler-free discussion for a bit, then we'll notify you when we get oh. into spoilers, and I'm putting that right here at the top, because both you and I went in almost completely blind to this movie. Yeah. For me, I basically was blank slating, I hadn't seen a trailer, I knew that it was a horror, I'd seen people liked it, that is the far, far I knew, I knew, and I also knew the font of the title. That I had the Stranger Things kind of pulp Stephen King style font. So I was like, okay, that's all I know. Um, and you were similar case, right? You didn't know anything. Yeah, I don't watch trailers. I, I quit watching trailers after, I know specifically when, Avengers mm-hmm. Infinity War. I was like, fuck this. I'm not watching trailers anymore. It's nobody's fault, but just too much. The threshold for success is so small now um, that... Mm. They have to put everything in the trailers and then you do trailers for the trailers and then there's 10 trailers and by the time you see the movie, nothing's a surprise. And so I don't, whatever, no matter what it is, blockbuster, indie, whatever, I don't watch trailers anymore. And so I hadn't seen the trailer for this. I try and go in as blank as I can. Blank space, uh, um, I believe, is what you said, which is relevant because Taylor Swift's new album comes out today. And I love that you're like, yeah, I'm going to compete with her. <laughs> Midnight too. <laughs> um, but it was basically all the same stuff you said. I knew there was a woman and some stairs. Um, mm-hmm. That's all I knew. Yep. Because we saw the poster- image the poster. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew it had like sort of, you know, torn up the, the sort of festival circuit, which I'm always mm. like. I always kind of have an ear to whatever horror film or films or shorts even are sort of like chomping at the bit along the film festival circuit because those are usually the ones that... I mean, I see every horror film. I was going to say, those yeah. are usually the ones I'm interested in. No, I see it all. I have no... You see it all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I would say this. This is why we're putting so much warning before we get into any kind of spoiler stuff um, is I think that there is true delight to be had in this movie going in as blank as possible. Agreed. I really, really tell you the surprises here were so invigorating and enriching to the experience of completely 
adoring this movie that I would really push as much as the audience as possible to go in with that kind of with that kind of mindset um, especially if you're a horror fan you know it's very rare if you're a horror fan to find surprise and to be truly surprised by things in this genre now so that's just a little warning up ahead so let's get into our discussion on Barbarian Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. This is 476 Barbary, right? Yeah, I'm renting this place. No, I booked it a month ago. Are you sure you have the right place? Yeah. What am I supposed to do? Why don't you come inside and we'll call these idiots. Why don't you just crash here? Oh, no. I don't know if you got a great look at this neighborhood, but I don't think you should be out there by yourself. It's dry and there's a lock on the door. By the way, I'm Keith. Tess. You take the bedroom and I'll sleep out here on the couch. Barbarian from director Zach Kreger is all about a woman who is arriving in a dodgy end of Detroit that is sparsely populated at all to find the Airbnb she's booked for an upcoming job interview has an occupant in there already. Against her bit of judgment, she goes inside and stays the night. And that is just the creepy little start for where this movie goes. And it goes far beyond that in every point in an unexpected way. Maria, I think the thing that drew me most into this movie and something that you and I have talked about a lot is this kind of tonal diversity of this film. Uh. I think that this film already, as an early film for Zach Kreger, shows someone who has such complete control and in a unique way of tone and this is a kind of horror movie in that Sam Raimi sense which is horror and comedy both existing together to relieve tension Mm. but not really feeling like a horror spoof this is a genuine horror movie yeah it is a genuine horror movie and it's really interesting because I kind of people always are like I say non-horror people because I think horror the horror girlies get it but Mm -hmm. people always be like, oh, horror is your favorite genre? Oh, that's weird. Why do you, why is horror your favorite genre? And it always has been, but it's interesting because horror and comedy to me are the two genres that give you visceral physical reactions. Like I guess a a melodrama, you cry and shit, but like Mm. the way you laugh out loud during a comedy, like is a physical reaction that you can see and hear and feel. And in horror, when you're getting creeped out or spooked or scared, it's a jump. It's that building sense of dread in your stomach. And so it's kind of been my theory always that that's why the two work so well together is they are both genres that draw out physical responses. And I didn't even know this was a horror comedy going in. So when the comedic bits start getting woven into it, it was very delightful to me Mm -hmm. because it's very rare that I'm just like, I don't like comedy in anything. Like, I don't care what kind of... You can be making fucking Saving Private Ryan, for fuck's sake. There are still some bangers in that movie, okay? Obviously not in the opening 20 minutes, but, like, once you get past that, Tom Sizemore's letting them fly. Um, 
and that is the sort of thing that I'm just like, oh, okay, well, maybe this is just a horror movie where, like, the person who wrote it and directed it just happens to be funny. And that stuff gets woven in throughout, regardless of how serious it is. And the, as the tones keep shifting forwards and back, forwards and back, it was so – it's, like, such a fun movie. Like, it's a house mm. party movie. Not that you would watch it at oh, a house yeah. party. But, like, what I mean is – if you're not getting to see this theatrically, which if you can get a chance to go and see it theatrically, highly recommend because it's having that shared experience. Like people were gasping and shit around me going like clapping, doing all sorts of stuff. Um, but if you can't and you're watching it at home, at least try and watch it at home with a few people, even if it's just mm. one other friend or somebody that you get a chance to react with, because that's the kind of movie this is. It's like, it wants to draw out a reaction. And it was mm. also like very interesting to me. I mean, this, like you said, this is set in Detroit, which is really America's Adelaide, if you had to pick any city. <laughs> but um, it's like this trilogy now of horror films that are very tonally specific, that are all mm. based around the disintegration of Detroit, like Only yeah. Lovers Left Alive. And, and It Follows, right? Well, I was going to say Don't Breathe, but I, is It oh, Follows wow. set in Detroit? I think It Follows is also set in Detroit. Oh my god! Well, in that case, wow. this we got a quadrilogy. No, no, that's actually that's really interesting because I was thinking about it follows because it mm. weirdly, I thought it was a small town, but I don't actually know that for a fact. It's just like that was just my assumption. I never actually made any inquiries um, as to whether that was true or not. But it would make sense because the whole film is about that sort of like desolation and isolation. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. Though this is like the Bill Skarsgård character in the film is an artist who's um, part of an artist collective. And so they're talking about this uh, essentially restoration of Detroit through artist collective. So if you don't know what that is, basically um, different art groups are coming into Detroit. And this is real. This is in the film, but mm-hmm. also true. Coming into Detroit and buying up these dilapidated houses and these abandoned homes and because they're super cheap and then trying to build artists, collectives and communes from the ground up because it's cheaper cost of living, et cetera, et cetera. And Bill Skarsgård plays uh, one of those artists as part of those collectives who's like scouting out a location in that specific area. And it's really interesting because that kind of feels like what these films are doing. They're like mm. rehabbing Detroit through cinema, but it's also the whole point is about the disintegration of the thing, which I find very, very fascinating. Um, I, I wonder if there'll ever be like, you know, in LA, how they have the, like the fucking Hollywood tour shit and, mm. and you're on like the TMZ bus and stuff. I wonder if there's going to be like a Detroit version and it's like oh, wow. you pull up to the house that fucking Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston do. And mm-hmm. they're like, look, that's where baby Jack White lived. And then they go <laughs> on to the next one and the next one and the next one. <laughs> Well, I hope so. I think that's such a good point about like how this film plays on this greater theme that we're seeing so much yeah. of in horror of like these uh, the, the disintegration of America, these disintegration of like these once great cities that were like the heart of America and a heart of the industrial movement in America now being replaced, and they're kind of the means to either restore or gentrify or the places that are left behind by oh. gentrification as well. And how that kind of leaves like this empty void where anything can happen and things can lurk, the unexpected can happen. And I think what really draws me into Barbarian is it has such a delicious structure. 
it's and in that structure it's so delightfully executed where barbarian is a film that really rewards you mm. in surprise and the way this first act builds up in genuine fear and the fear of the unknown the fear of the unexpected and the fear of looking forward like what could happen in the premise of going into an airbnb as a young vulnerable woman who is vulnerable in the sense that she is not just alone but is in that headspace of uncertainty, she's gone to this new city for a job interview that she might not even get. So you can tell that she's someone that is seeking something. She's got some kind of desperation around her. And there's all this uncertainty in just that premise and where this film goes beyond that premise and the way that each chapter kind of unfolds in this movie in these acts that are just gifts of horror excess as things change, Mm. as even the type of horror genre changes within the film uh, throughout its, uh, throughout its growth, throughout the film's structure unfolding. Mm. I think it is just such a unique experience that I think is like, to me, this film has potential to be like an instant horror classic because of the different modes of horror it goes into, like the kind of goriness and then the lack of goriness, the kind of experimental things that it's doing with different tones coming together. Well, it's also the world building as well. That's the other thing is like... Fantastic world building. Yeah, like I was thinking a lot about these movies are not similar at all. But mm. I was thinking a lot about one of my favourites of all time, Candyman from 1992. Oh, yes. There is, is a similarity, though, especially in the theme of, like, gentrification and, yes, like, neighbourhood decline. Right. And the the thing that it does with empty spaces. There's a mm. shot in Barbarian where she's at the Airbnb and she's, like, knocking on the door and she's trying to get in and the, the key's not working. And she turns around. It's at night. It's raining. She turns around to look at the street and this house is like this pristine little sunny Mm. yellow painted house. And it's, you know, borderline got a picket fence for fuck's sake, but it doesn't. And she turns around from the house to look at the street because it's at night. You would usually see the other houses, but the whole street is dark. So she can't actually see anything, but she's like, it's a little bit weird because this is the only house that has light on the street. And it's not until the next day when she leaves the house that she sees that all the other houses on the street are empty and abandoned. And that's why it was like at night when she turned around to look around and there was just nothing around her, this like absence of a thing. And the way that scene and that shot and that comparison made me feel was like how Candyman made me feel. Both the Mm. 1992 original and Nia DaCosta's, um, I guess you could say legacy cool is the word that Mm -hmm. you boys like to use. (laughs) I listen. to use it. (laughs) <laughs> we love to use it. And I would also say that performance by by Georgina Campbell as the lead uh, is just that perfect horror calibration. Mm. She's an English actress. I think I'd only ever seen her in a Black Mirror episode, the Hang the mm. DJ episode. Mm. And I think that it captures that fear, but also something that I think is a very modern horror theme that I'm seeing quite a lot, especially this year um, in a couple of other movies. Speak No Evil comes to mind, which is one that Mm. I'm sure you and I will talk about soon on a Patreon bonus episode um, Mm. about this kind of like politeness and how we have like this mode of politeness around us where we give other people the benefit of the doubt despite our alert reflexes going off saying there's something wrong here i don't feel good but Mm-mm. playing into that politeness of everything no, and i think not she me. captures it <laughs> so freaking well 
There's this, um, I, I guess it's not quite like, I, if anyone listens to the podcast, My Favourite Murder, their logo slash mantra is stay sexy, don't get murdered. But there's a bunch of like sub ones and one of them is fuck politeness. And I'm all about that because it's just like, here's the thing. Sure, it might be like you might feel bad about being rude to somebody in the moment or whatever. But at the same time, it's like predators use, particularly women, but they use their the social conventions to make you feel uncomfortable and to get you into these positions of guilt and obligation all the time so they can get you where they want you. And mm-hmm. there's just like, there's a reason. Ted, like Ted Bundy is the most obvious one, but you know, John Wayne Gacy or whoever, pick a serial killer, any serial killer. But it was like the reason they were op- able to operate the way they were is because they essentially didn't play by the rules of society, but were expecting you to. And so it's really interesting, like, when she gets into that scenario. I was I saw Barbarian with um, one of my best mates, Sosafina Formoli, who's uh, one of Australia's, like, best music writers and culture writers. And we, in the pandemic, we had this thing going where it's like, we're both in Melbourne, so I had this fucking long-ass goddamn lockdown where all hope is gone. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. we became each other's bubble buddies. And so we would do this thing where once a week we would have um, – a sleepover either at my place or her place we'd switch it week to week and it was horror specific so all we would do is like that night would just watch a bunch of different horror stuff shows movies whatever and we did that for almost two years and that was like the thing that got us through the pandemic so we went and saw barbarian together and it was really fun because it was just like oh my god it's like taking girls night on the road like our mm-hmm. lockdown you know cure the thing that got us through lockdown we're now like getting to go and do in an IRL setting. And we did that for fresh as well. And that was like, again, also such a fun theatrical experience, but we were sitting there watching it. And we're the, the bit where she goes into the house for the first time, we both just went, no, no, <laughs> like out loud to each other, but also in the theater. And it's, it's interesting considering this is a year when we have a literal horror film about black characters and black spaces and the film is called nope and it's this idea of Mm -hmm. like the way black characters navigate through horror scenarios is very different the nope the no not me not gonna do this and it plays on that so much uh there's just so many times where you're just like you're putting yourself in that scenario and you're like i would never i would absolutely Mm. i'm back in the car bye-bye like, but then again, th- it's like, if it's your dream job, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Would you? I think it's pretty interesting that you bring up this point because, you know, the key theme, I think, to all horror ever is the idea of transgression mm-hmm. and the punishment one receives for transgressing. You know, yes. in the past, you know, think about Frankenstein's transgressing against God, transgressing against nature. And now I think, like, it's the transgression against manners or your own judgment and Mm -hmm. passing that threshold into this occupied Airbnb is that first kind of transgression because you're Mm -hmm. walking into a zone that perhaps is unwelcome. You're passing through your better judgment and then Mm. whatever comes is the comeuppance for going against your better judgment. I would almost say that the Airbnb itself existing is a transgression. Because like you you look at the neighborhood and it's like Mm -hmm. this this example of an investment property property of luxury amongst so much poverty and so much destruction and despair. Like that's transgressing on the American anti-dream. Mm-hmm. Well, Maria, I think we should start delving into some spoilers very soon. Before we do that, a little tease. 
at the end of this episode, Maria and I are going to give away some horror recommendations for you. Mm-hmm. And we're also going to record a little Patreon bonus episode that will be discussing the year of horror 2022, kind of a state of the union address of like what is going on <laughs> as a little bonus Halloween episode for Patreon subscribers over at patreon.com slash total reboot. If you subscribe there, you'll be able to hear that episode immediately. And my final tease before getting into this spoiler section wow the casting of bill skarsgård and oh. someone who we've yet to mention mm. justin long mm. i think are superb moments and thoughts of casting against mm. and for type in mm-hmm. a very interesting way mm. and i think that is a nice little tease to push you yeah. either further into the podcast or to go check out this movie with the blinders up because it is an absolute delight Let's I didn't even want to mention the casting because I was just like, I'm too afraid of what I'll say. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just want to put a little little tease out there. Little let's tease. get into the spoiler section of this review. Maria, what delighted me most about this was the moment I realized that this was a psycho riff. That Hitchcockian idea that goes back to 1960 psycho of the fake out of the protagonist. Yes. And we have a new, a whole new section of this movie opens up at a certain point. And that where. Justin Long's character comes in, takes over as this protagonist of the film, the lead of the film, and the tone shifts entirely to something more akin to a horror comedy where you've got Mm. a real genuine horror movie happening with a hapless character who has no idea that they've stepped into a horror movie beyond the psychotic shit that they've done in their own life that keeps coming up. And that's another transgression that this Justin Long character has committed uh, that will ultimately see his comeuppance pouring through him. Mm. Uh, I think that fake out or that kind of revelation was something so spectacular for me in that it never stopped and we kept having those chapters coming where the tone of the movie would completely shift to what different type of horror movie it was being, where it would go from almost like a an intruder film to a haunted house film to a to then become like a serial killer film at different points. And I found that to be so incredibly rewarding mm. that this film even plays on what you think a horror movie with a twist in the middle of it could be mm. to keep on shifting modes and shifting gears structurally in such a satisfying and sound way. I just was so impressed by it. Yeah, I mean, the when they, they do like a hard pivot after she heads down into the basement... Because uh, we're doing we're doing spoilers now, right? We can, we're in spoilers. Yeah, okay. We're free. All right. So blah blah blah. There's a basement. She discovers a secret wall in a basement. Like, let me tell you, <laughs> any secret space in a house is not good. Okay. Moral to the story. It's just like mm. it's an immediate no from me, dog. But uh, she discovers a secret spot. Gets locked down there. It seems like bad vibes. Bill Skarsgård comes to help her. They both get stuck down there. Things go awry. He gets brutally. 
um, killed by something that we're not quite sure exactly the specifics, except like it's the saggy tit representation. Um, <laughs> I didn't expect to see in 2022, but anyway, when it had cuts into the Justin Long, um, you know, cruising down the fucking the PH, uh, and like just having a time and he's in a convertible and he's getting me too. And he's just before that, he's singing along to a song. And I was just like, mm-hmm. oh, well, fuck mm-hmm. me, I guess. Like, all right. I had, okay. And then when I went back after the fact and looked up the trailers, it was really interesting because they give no hint or clue of that in the materials that I saw, which I think was very smart, but it's mm-hmm. not only a tone shift. The tone is specific to the people that are cast. Now, your thing that you said about not having seen Georgina Campbell and stuff outside of Black Mirror, hashtag say, me neither. And I think that's really crucial because she's a blank slate for the audience. They Mm. can't project any previous work onto her, which is perfect. It's exactly what you need for that part because she's bookended by two people who come with so much baggage. Bill Skarsgård, one of the 86 Skarsgård siblings, um, (laughs) fathered by Stellan Mm -hmm. Skarsgård himself. Every single one of those brothers and the sister, uh, they all have Who's the sister? Stellan Skarsgård? (laughs) No, I'll I'll send you pics. But Alexi, you're not going to believe this. The sister, Mm -hmm. really hot. Who would have thought? No way. Literally, every single one of them is hot. It makes me sick. I interviewed Well, Stellan certainly has that blessed seed. Fucking, I interviewed Alexander Skarsgård once, and mm-hmm. let me tell you, one of the best interviews of my life, but I'm such a fan of him as an actor, and I think he has this mm-hmm. Taylor Kitsch thing going on where it's like, because they were very hot, people mistook them for leading men when they're yes. actually much better suited for supporting roles and weirder mm-hmm. roles. Anyway, I'd always been a fan of him as an actor, and then interviewing him in person, I was just like, Jesus Christ. Piercing blue eyes, magnetic, mm-hmm. really softly spoken, listens to every question you ask, replies with a thoughtful wow. answer. It was ridiculous. But um, every single one of those siblings has this haunted thing behind their eyes. That's why they're so good at playing characters that have complexity to them, whether that's mm-hmm. literal evil complexity or just characters that are a little bit prickly. But um, the other brother, uh, Volta Skarsgård, who was in Lords oh of Oh, my Chaos, God. You sing, bring up people I've never heard of now. Good <laughs> no, lord. But this is the thing, Alexi. You would have watched shit that he's in. Mm-hmm. You just don't know which Skarsgård brother it is. The, uh, there's another one called... Um, oh, fuck, what's his name? The oldest one who was in Vikings, who is fucking amazing as well. Like, they're all wow. genuinely great. But Bill specifically is associated with horror because yep. of Pennywise, but also... He plays because- Pennywise, that creepy clown in it. And this... Because that movie was such a hit, but also because it was such an internet sensation, people Mm. have seen that audition video where he does the stuff with his face. They've seen him on talk shows where he does the tweaks with his lips and his eyes. So casting him as this, like, unassuming guy who's already at the Airbnb and they kind of have chemistry, immediately the audience's baggage, because most people coming to this are horror fans, their guard is up. Because they're like, you don't cast Bill Skarsgård mm-hmm. to be the sweetie pie, you know? Oh, Maria, I'll tell you, when he was, like, kind of pushed into this movie as, oh, this guy that's already in the Airbnb, I was like going, oh, this is so annoying. Why would you cast Bill Skarsgård in this I mean, role? Why would you do it? 
And then to him, then it challenges you going like, actually, he's quite nice. And go, surely not. You can't start questioning just by brilliant piece of casting. And he's fantastic in the movie. So good. Playing up like the niceness of this character, but also kind of leaning into the moments where the tension should be there. And the and he plays it all very real. There's no winking or nudging uh-uh, to it. And uh-uh. I think it is fantastic. And it's just genius casting to the point where I'm so grateful he said yes. It would have been so easy for him to turn down a role like this, a supporting character in another horror movie that is, you know, just beyond a lovely cameo. Like this is, yeah. it is a real supporting role that he has in here, but mm. it's so, it would be so easy for him to turn someone like this down. I'm really genuinely grateful he said yes to doing it because I think it expands the movie so much more and it just makes everything sing better. He's part of like yeah. the choir that makes this movie into such a harmonious piece. And not just said yes to like being the, the um, Janet Lee type part Mm -hmm. right not just saying yes to that and being on camera he's one of the producers of this film like this movie doesn't get made without his name attached as a star but i also would question whether it gets made without him throwing his you know bussy behind it to produce Mm -hmm. which i think is really fascinating (laughs) but then on on the flip side with justin long this was some real like um fucking promising young woman shit right where Mm. i thought that movie in and of itself, a horror movie in a very specific way. But the thing they did so brilliantly with that Emerald Fennel and the whole Lucky Chap crew where they really intentionally cast all of the predatory men to be men that people recognized from pop culture as being sweet, lovely boys. You have Adam Brody, who everyone's like, oh, that's Seth from the OC. You have mm. um, Christopher Mintz Plass. Everyone's like, oh, that's McLovin. They could McLovin. never hurt me. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And this was that thing. It's like Justin Long could have been one of the guys from Promising Young Woman, but instead he's implemented here in a way that I think is absolutely perfect tonally as a mirror Mm -hmm. to what they do with Bill Skarsgård. And I also have to shout out another great performance, Richard Brake, uh, who plays a serial killer in this movie, the linchpin for the whole film, who... Audience is best known from Batman Begins as Joe Chill, the murderer of the Wayne is, family. Is that what they know him from, Batman Begins? All the Nolan what, girlies are like, that's my that, Joe Chill. <laughs> that's my Joe Chill. That's who, I, that's who people believe Joe Chill is. Um, but he <laughs> is such a wonderfully sinister presence. And I think that truly is, for me, the genius touch of this movie, to have one of the chapters this goes down to be an almost disconnected prequel where it kind of softly and slowly explains the backstory for how all of this shit that is unbelievable going on is possible, where he's this stalking Dharma type wandering around his neighborhood, and it's just almost a day in the life of this guy preparing uh, his next his next kill uh, and it's done in a way that plays on the tropes and the understandings that is just so uh part of the mainstream culture of how serial killers and predators operate where he you see him go up in his work gear enter a woman's house and then it be a fairly innocuous experience where he leaves after. But what does he do before he leaves? He just unlocks a window before he goes out. And that is all you need to know to understand what is going on with this character. And also the way he, like, he tracks... Th- like, uh, I love that you mentioned his Joe Hill. So, but I know him from Doom, one of my favourite... <laughs> 
No. Video game to movie adaptations. No, yeah. no, no. It's nah, bad love, movie. Love Dune. Love Dune. One of the first movies I remember seeing in the cinema going, away, okay, so not all movies are good. Okay, interesting. <laughs> Alexi, when I moved into this apartment, it was the first movie I watched in this house. Because wow. I couldn't get the internet connected, so I only you had my DVDs. <laughs> yeah, I only had my physical media, and I'm like, what's going to be the first wow. movie I watch in this house? And it was Doom. Anyway, um, when they have the scenes with him, everything is like, it's lit like because it's a flashback, right? So it goes back mm-hmm. to uh, earlier time, maybe fifties or sixties. But yeah, I think sixties. It's quite like it is a complete shift in color, tone. Yes, even the way the camera well, moves that, and the way that the film is shaped. Yeah, it's very interesting. That's what I was gonna say. Is like it's it's immediately the color palette shifts, so it feels mm-hmm. Stepford Wivesy. But then also it's sort of shot with like a fisheye lens. Like yes, everything. Very wide lens. With everything. Curved to the side. Yes. And even when he's in the car and he spots a woman that he wants to uh, essentially abduct and put into his rape dungeon, he's sitting in the car and the shot is so wide. Everything's in frame. So at first, if you don't know, like if you're not like super genre literate you might be like why are we watching this guy in his car and there's all this stuff happening in and around but then you see what he's focusing on in the middle of the frame and it's sort of this idea of like the world is so big you mightn't be able to see all the facets to it but somewhere in there there can just be something like shifting along and moving along that's not supposed to be there and it's this guy and it's so good like the fact that you never see the abduction you never see him take a woman down there is amazing. Like it's such good, uh, very like, oh, what's the right Economical word? Economical storytelling. Thank you. Yes. That's literally what I was looking for when he's like buying the baby stuff and you're like, absolutely mm-hmm. the fuck not. No. <laughs> yeah. It gives you enough information to put the clues together yourself yes. in a very simple and elegant way. Uh, Maria, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up this review? Um, do I have any final thoughts? Well, it made a shit ton of money at the US box office. So I think. Fantastic. Right. Fuck, that's good to isn't hear. Isn't that good to hear? It's been a great year financially for horror. Like we were mm-hmm. sort of talking about this off mic about like critically and commercially. What a huge year it has been for horror. But it's really, I think, very interesting to me is it sort of feels like we're at this turning point in the genre and, you know, maybe I'll look like a fuckwit in a few years if this all goes to shit. Wow, I can't (laughs) wait to save this file to (laughs) shove it in your face. (laughs) But it sort of feels like we're at this turning point of the genre where horror is really, like, having a boom period. Like, there Mm. was this... uh, I was listening to this really interesting piece um, that was basically talking about how pre-Scream you just didn't have horror movies theatrically accessible anymore. It was just like very rare to ever get one. And it was always like whatever fucked up cover you could pick up at your local like video rental place. And now I was just thinking about like all the horror movies that have come out this year, let alone all the ones that have gone straight to streaming that are genuinely good. Like Shudder's dropping shit, like not just horror movies, but docos and shit every week that are sick. Some of my favorite horror movies the past few years have been Netflix originals. Same with um, a bunch of stuff that was acquired in the Disney Fox merger that's all gone straight to Disney+. Plus. It's just like, it, we're eating, Alexi, we're eating. The meal is mm. big, the table is loaded. Exactly. And I would also just say for this film that uh, there are moments that are really quite disturbing, but in a way that I don't feel is entirely inaccessible. No. I think that there's something really, really accessible in this movie, and the craft and the art of this film is not overt in the ways that we see in kind of like those 
dare I say my least favorite term, but it's a term to describe those elevated horror films, those kind of A24 horror films. I think that there is just as much, if not more, technique, craft, and art to this film, but in a way that I think is really deliverable and really desirable to a normal mainstream audience as well. Like, I think that this is an absolutely superb film. Maria, I'm going all the way up to 4.5 stars. This is a four and a half star Mm. film for me. It is my greatest delight of the year because it was entirely surprised and each surprise is a reward of horror at every single point. Interesting. I'm going to go a four out of five. I really like, like it was, I had a wonderful time and I really liked it. Um, It doesn't sound like I liked it as much as you because you went 4.5. But let me tell you, when they end the movie on the Ronettes, Be My Baby, I was just like in my seat, like, be my, be my baby. And it has this amazing sort of like moment as you're following Georgina Campbell, like through Mm -hmm. the fucking derelict streets of Detroit slash Adelaide. And you're just like, this is like such a homage to any sort of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Mm -hmm. Halloween, final girl making it through the huge trials and tribulations that she's had to while a classic, like a 50s classic is playing. One of my favorite songs. Hey, Maria, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I'm so glad to have you back. It's been a minute, and you're just always one of our favorite guests. The listeners love you on this show. That's not true. (laughs) No, that is true. They always say they want me and you to do more stuff together. Cameron, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's always me and you that they mention. Um, Just kidding, of course. Uh, But (laughs) what have you got? You've got some cool stuff cooking up at the moment. Okay, I got stuff. Um... If you liked such uh, audio documentaries as Finding Drago, <laughs> uh, there's a show called uh, The Phantom Never Dies that I worked on for Nova Podcasts. It's all about superheroes, essentially. It's specifically about the world's first zero superhero, The Phantom, and how that and his shaping of that character sort of intersected with World War Two and the Civil Rights Movement and the Papua New Guinean Civil War. It's a very expansive and weird yeah. kind of rabbit hole to dive down. But it's that a fantastic is a- podcast. Do you know who loves that podcast? My dad. I was one of the Shut early podcasts up. I've ever recommended to him. I sent it to him and he was like, wow, listen to that all in a couple of days. That was fantastic. Okay, I will say I think it's a real, like, we're popular with the dads because Mm. the Phantom was a superhero for dads. Like, it's always so many of the stories of people we had on the show who we were talking to, the the way they were exposed to the Phantom is, like, through their dad. And their dad was exposed to it through their grandfather. Like the character itself, the love of that character gets passed on from, like, Mm. you know, father to son. Um, Anyway, so that's out. The six episodes, you can have a listen. Um, My eighth book, Her Fierce Creatures, uh, dropped. And it is the conclusion to the Supernatural Sister series. If you like female monsters and uh, sort of, like, fucking around with mythology. And uh, I have a new book that's coming out this time in a year. It's relevant to your interests um, because it's a slasher. It's my first slasher mm-hmm. that I've ever got to write. Oh, I'm so yes, excited. dude. I'm so excited. <laughs> so excited. Oh, my God. You don't understand. I'm so excited, too. Um, so it's called The Graveyard Shift, and it will be coming out October 10, 2023. And it follows um, uh, a woman who's uh, the host of an overnight radio show called The Graveyard Shift. She hosts The oh, Graveyard wow. Shift, and it's a pop culture slash horror-themed show. And uh, a caller calls into her show and she thinks pulls a Halloween prank on her, but it actually turns out that person had been killed live on air. 
And then bodies start dropping at famous uh, movie locations in and around Melbourne. Oh, my God. She has to race against time to work out what the connection is between the spooky doings. Anyway, so, yeah, it's a very pop culture themed slasher. Um, I'm so grateful that the literary slasher is having a revival right now Mm -hmm. because it means that somebody was able to buy that book. Yeah, well, Maria, I can't wait to read it. That sounds so freaking sick, and I'm sure the listeners of the show are going to go freaking gaga for it. Before we wrap things up, you and I want to give a couple of extra horror recommendations for your spooky Halloween season. Mm -hmm. And we were both lucky enough to do a little curation with our friends Hollow Bones Co., who's a great listener of this podcast, Patrick, and a little... Uh, and a little imprint that he does called Gold Street Press, uh, where we curated little lists of specific horror films. Maria, your list is called Gang Hang. Can you tell us about yes. the films on your list and what your premise <laughs> is for this list? So many people mistook that for Gang Bang, and wow. I immediately regretted that after the fact because I was like, maybe I could have done an orgy-themed list. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so it was me, you, uh, Jen Fricker, and Briggs um, all did a curation of different List. Mine's called Gang Hang, and it's basically all about the group. So I put together a list of films that you can watch over the course of the week where it's all about assembling your crew. It's about the crews that unite to fight evil and sometimes the ones that are crews of evil themselves. So I kicked off with Attack the Block, literally one of my favorite films of all time. Love it. Classic. Film. 2011. Near Dark, 1987. Green Room. 2015 vampires v the bronx a nifty little netflix original it's very much like they wanted to do their version of attack the block and i love it particularly because it's essentially it's it's like a sort of like a latina community battling vampires who are basically buying up all the houses in the bronx and i think that's so smart because every vampire story at its core is about real estate Mm -hmm. so i really love that they're vampires and they're like what? Let's fuck the subtext. Let's just make it mm-hmm. text. All the vampires are real estate agents. The next one is There's Somebody Inside Your House, another really great Netflix original. It's based on this incredible book by Stephanie Perkins, also a literary slasher. James Wan produced this bad boy. It oh, is wow. one of my favorite slashes, I think, of probably the past 10 years. Um, Boys from County Hell, which is about an Irish road crew who take on vampires. And then I concluded with a double feature, which was It Chapter 1 and It Chapter 2. As I like to call It 2, Mama Tambien. Um, I would also say that Near Dark, the Catherine Bigelow movie you Uh, put on your list, it has been really hard to find for the last like five or six years. Mm-hmm. It currently is screening on the Criterion channel. If you're a subscriber to the Criterion channel, finally you can watch that movie again. And I do believe next year in time for Halloween, Studio Canal is releasing a 4K UHD Blu-ray of it. Um, and it's just like, it is an all-timer. It's a classic. So yeah, It's a fucking masterpiece. And I was working on this uh, show Firebite that is essentially mm-hmm. a vampire western. And that was like one of the films that I was sort of saying to, I was like, you guys need to watch New This Dark. is the you one. Need to watch. Yeah, because it's like, there are very few vampire westerns out there. It's kind of yeah. like this. And I don't know if you've seen the film Priest, um, which yeah. I also, with Paul Bettany, which mm-hmm. I love, no joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but that there's so Maria, it, I wouldn't western. take as a joke you saying you like a bad movie i'm not gonna whoa movie's joking yes, <laughs> that's my brand but i um i 
tried to get Near Dark by going on Amazon and buying mm. a, somebody else's used DVD of it for two bucks. I bought that in Centurion. Um, in oh, a, in Centurion's a, good. Centurion's okay, so with good. Centurion. It's a survivalist um, slasher. We love mm-hmm. to see it. Anyway. Well, I also have a vampire western on my list as well. I did Around the World in Horror, which is Ooh. just, I picked horror films from all different countries around the world and you know it's when we think of horror we don't always think about country hopping to countries that aren't mm. well known for their mm. horror output so I want to like shine a light on some classics from around the world I started with Good Manners a werewolf film from Brazil from the last few years think it's fantastic it probably good. my favorite modern werewolf film uh, oh. in the horror genre then I picked 1971 Belgium Daughters of Darkness, which is a very elegant, very beautiful vampire in the realm of erotic thriller, if you will. But it is like a very art housey kind of horror. Then I went from one from this year, Saloon, which is a Senegalese uh, kind of war mercenary film with like this witchy, interesting, like ghosty, mystical twist to it. Then I went to a kaiju film from Japan. It's not Godzilla. It's Gamera, Guardian of the Universe. The turtle-like guardian of japan uh that this is the re- reboot series when the series returned in the 90s with like a new trilogy of films and it is just fantastic 2014 we're going to iran with a girl walks home alone at night mm. which is a vampire western a mm. really really cool film it's one that's gotten a lot of talk over the last few years but i think it deserves all of it it's such a cool film and then wreck the found footage vampire infection horror film set in a building an apartment block in spain fantastic movie one of the scariest and i think the sequel rec 2 is just as good if not scarier and it expands on the film in very interesting ways and then finally this is one that i've seen almost no one talk about ever it was a discovery for me from this year Uh, it's a movie called norway and it's a vampire horror comedy from greece in 2014 and it is a very odd little film if you kind of like mighty boosh and Garth Marenghi, this is not outside of that space. It's a little less tongue-in-cheek, but it is a truly auteured film. The filmmaker, the director, did the music and the production design. Uh, so he's like a one-man band with like a great support team putting this together. Very, very cool film. Uh, I would hope people check it out. And all the ones that I picked are pretty accessible in Australia on Tubi, Shudder, uh, Netflix, or even just to rent on Apple or YouTube. Uh, so check them out Maria and I are about to record a Patreon episode that'll be up mm. next week talking about horror this year as a little extra Halloween treat for the Patreon subscribers but Maria thank you for joining me and yeah love you babe that was so fun to hang out <laughs> love you babe this is so I love to hang out and talk about horror like my two favourite things and before we go, just want to say another thank you to all the listeners for supporting Cameron and I with Finding Jesus. Oh the my final God. two episodes are coming out on Monday and Tuesday, where we solve one of the internet's biggest and freakiest unsolved mysteries. Can I just quickly on Finding Jesus for one moment? Because I've said this to you guys, but I feel like it's not as fun to tickle your balls if it's just the two of you and then everybody else can hear this. But I genuinely love that show so much. It's like all the things you say 
about like what makes a good sequel is it should stay true to the tone and theme, but expand the scale and the stakes. And that is truly what Finding Jesus is. It's so nice to see the two of you being so specifically yourselves and doing specifically your thing, but with money, baby, and like (laughs) getting to go on the road. And it's just like, it's so unique and it's so like sweet and earnest and funny. And I have watched every episode like three to four times because I'm just like, it's a good hang. It's a great hang. We and gotta I'm get those so views up. So thank you. No, oh, you're thanks, Maria. I love you. <laughs> thank you so much. So nice of you to say. All right. Well, happy Halloween, you little freaks. <laughs> Enjoy the podcast, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>